Mayhew. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to Captain Hunter's podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. We are really in some some serious times uh, as we go forward. Um, currently, as I record this introduction, uh, we are un- undergoing the second impeachment trial of the former president of the United States. Um, and so as a result of that, I reached out to David DeBato, uh, who I found on LinkedIn. And uh, he was so gracious and so kind enough to come on the show and talk about his expertise and his experiences uh, in law enforcement as a former mem- member of the Army. Uh, and his just whole his whole background is just so impressive. So we had a really, really great conversation. And usually, as you all, well, maybe you all don't know, but <laughs> sometimes I, I delay the you know, the uh, releasing of these episodes. But because of the urgency of the of the now that we're living in, uh, I thought it would be best to release this episode fairly quickly. So I want to thank my special guest, uh, David Debato, for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. So before we get into the episode, listen, make sure that you guys pick up my book, Captain Hunter's uh, uh, Police Reform. A retired police captain's perspective on the evolution of law enforcement in America and how to improve the criminal justice system. Uh, up here at the top of the video is where you can find it at Lulu, L-U-L-U dot com. Um, so you guys can uh, you guys can uh, click on that and make sure you pick up your copy today. Uh, I really, really would appreciate it. And I think that it shed a lot of light on what's going on in law enforcement. Um, you can support the podcast through Kit. Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, CPT, L Hunter, Capt uh, Hunter, CAPT for PayPal. You can head on over to the website hunterpolicetraining.com or you can email me at cptlhunter at gmail.com, cptlhunter at gmail.com. And by emailing me, you can either request a copy of the book, um, you can send me your likes and dislikes and what you think about the podcast, how it can grow, how it can, how it can make it better different guests you want to hear, different topics you want discussed. So that's what we can do uh, by emailing me and letting me, letting me know. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes, particularly this, this episode. I think this episode is really, really important. We're really living in some critical times, and we really have to buckle down and try to save this republic uh, from what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of bad information. We are struggling with people who don't understand how to make sense of the world. We're struggling with people who don't understand how to uh, which way is up, how to discern information, uh, how to tell the truth in the newspaper. This is really, really becoming problematic. Um, and so um, we don't know which sources to trust. We're listening and, and surrounding ourselves with information that is bad, that is false, that is wrong. Uh, and we're, 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 and we're electing these people into offices. And I think that this is really, really dangerous. Um, so we really have to, to get a hold on this. So therefore, I had uh, David DeBato on the podcast. So just a little bit about um, Mr. DeBato. He's a retired U.S. Army counter intelligence special agent, author, consultant, analyst, and speaker. Uh, he's wrote a number of articles. Once again, I found him on LinkedIn. He can be contacted on LinkedIn. 15 uh, years in the United States Army, counterintelligence, special agent, uh, non-commissioned officer, uh, he was an instructor. Um, he was also a police officer in the Yuma Police Department in uh, Arizona, Yuma, Arizona. Uh, then he was uh, also a, a constable in Massachusetts as well. Um, you know, educated at the University of South Florida, where he got his Master's of Arts, uh, Eckerd College, uh, got his BA from there, uh, and another uh, Master's of Arts from Fort Hayes State University. Uh, so he does a lot of articles. He has a website uh, called protectingtherepublic.com, protectingtherepublic.com. You can be reached also as email as info at protectingtherepublic.com. Also, you can uh, find him on uh, LinkedIn as well. A lot of different articles, a lot of good, really, really good stuff. And it's not very uh, often that I meet someone who's um, uh, so much in line with my with my frame of thought and my frame of thinking. He also released an episode, or or he released, um, uh, you know, how people publish articles. And this is one thing that we did not talk about in, during the, the the interview that I wanted to talk about uh, is uh, his disagreement with, uh, I guess, the the state of Texas in light of a Dallas Mavericks game or, or something like that. Um, 
they wanted to mandate that uh, person stand for the national anthem or, or, or the least that the national anthem was was played during uh, before every game uh, for any state funded or, or federally funded event in the state of Texas. That's what the governor wants to propose there. And uh, Mr. Dubato is is uh, is opposed to that forced um, a patriotism is not patriotism. And I agree with that statement. Uh, you know, I, I, I too love this country uh, and I want it to be the best that it can be, but I don't think we ought to force people to be, become patriotic. So we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but that's just another area that Dubato and I uh, certainly agree. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, um, and really enjoy this this uh, this podcast interview. It was really, really great conversation. Of course, I think all of my interviews are really great and I appreciate everyone that I've come in contact with, um, but this one really uh, strikes home for me. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is the interview with David Dabata. So we'll, we'll jump into it here. Thank you so much to my uh, special guest for today, uh, David Dabato, former, uh, former Armory uh, Intelligence Officer. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You bet. Uh, so, um, just to, if you just tell us a little bit about yourself, I know I gave you a little brief introduction there, but tell us about what you've been doing these last few days and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, uh, as you said, I, I uh, served in the army. I retired as a, uh, a counterintelligence agent, served in Iraq during the war at the very beginning of the war in 2003. And, uh, prior to that, prior and after that, actually, I was a police officer first in Arizona and then in, uh, in Massachusetts. And uh, I retired uh, from all of that in uh, two, late 2004, early 2005. And since that time, I have been writing and speaking about a number of issues, uh, specifically uh, on uh, police-related matters, law enforcement, and of course, uh, military intelligence-related matters, um, kind of a geopolitical analyst, if you will. And, and I've written a number of articles and, and actually some books about that and given some presentations at uh, various conferences. Uh, very nice, very nice. Can you give us the name of those books? Well, my uh, I've got a series of books out actually uh, called uh, CI, Army Counterintelligence. And there's four books in that series. And uh, they loosely uh, chronicle uh, my, my experiences in Iraq and then afterwards. Uh, the first one specifically is about my experiences in Iraq, even though it's fictionalized. The rest of them are, are pure fiction. Um, I've also got a number of magazine articles out, some of which you may have seen uh, on my profile in, on LinkedIn. Um, I've written for a number of different uh, uh, magazines. Most recently, I've posted most of them on, on LinkedIn, although I, I have uh, some on um, a think tank, which uh, uh, I've written a number of articles for as well, but they're all, all there on my, my LinkedIn profile as well. Yeah, very good. I, as I mentioned before we started recording, that I was just kind of reviewing them, and it's all good stuff. The vast majority of stuff, you know, I, I certainly agree with, and I'm glad that somebody's out there saying <laughs> saying these things. Um, so, tell us about your law enforcement experience. You were uh, from Arizona to Massachusetts. What a difference in climate there, huh? <laughs> yeah, I started out as a police officer in Yuma, Arizona, right on the Mexican and California border. And I stayed there about five years, and I, I was a, a street officer. I, I, uh, I, I worked patrol, absolutely loved it. I uh, would have stayed forever, except I, I went through a divorce at the time, and my, my wife and young son moved to Massachusetts, where she was from. And that was really the only reason I, I left Arizona, because <laughs> as you said, it's a pretty drastic climate change. And uh, I uh, kind of traded off and on being in the uh, the Army uh, National Guard Reserve and working as a constable in Massachusetts. So I did kind of a, a little bit of all of that until about 2005. Okay, very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm right down there. Well, yeah, right down the road from Massachusetts in Connecticut. So right. I, and then I was, uh, and then I went to Matt, then went, I went to Arizona uh, for my, uh, when I graduated from college. Uh, just for the graduation there, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I yes. I loved it. You know, my 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 family was complaining it was hot. I'm like, listen, I love it here. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so uh, it's a funny story because we were, uh, uh, you know, we it was it was a it was an extremely hot day, and so uh, I had the air conditioning on in the car. 
I'm like, listen, I don't want to burn all this gas. And we had to look, you know, a long way to go and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm like, listen, I'm turning off the air. So I, I turn up the air and I roll down the windows and all the hot air was coming in. They're like, they're, oh, they're just screaming and stuff. <laughs> so I, so I turned the air back on and rolled up the windows. So, well, so one of the funniest still- stories about that just quickly is when I first moved out there, um, the joke was that, uh, it's it's hot, but it's dry hot. And somebody said, "Yeah, just like a blowtorch is dry hot too." <laughs> yeah, when people say that, uh, that that's it's not that's not the case. We we went to the movies, we went to the movies like nine o'clock at night or something like that. You know, just you know trying to find something to do, and we come outside and it was ninety five degrees. I'm like, oh sure. <laughs> This is crazy. 95 degrees People at night. It would be between 110 and 120 in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we were there, and I was looking at the weather. The, most of the days were like 114, 115. So we were there yeah. in, in, in the heat of it, you know. So when we went to yeah. the graduation, uh, it was actually at the Arizona uh, uh, Stadium, Glendale, mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix, Arizona Stadium there. Mm-hmm. So they had the mist all outside so people could could go could stay cool, you know. Yes. So, Yes. Yeah. So Arizona's hot. <laughs> so anyway, anybody who hasn't been there, it's it's a hot place. Um, so I want to reach out to you, have a conversation about uh, a, a number of things. But let's just start off with uh, you know um, your 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 career there um, and white military uh, or, or white uh, uh, supremacists entering the military, and then of course mm-hmm. entering into law enforcement as well. But let's start mm-hmm. with let's start with there. Your your thoughts about that? How this is happening? Why this is happening? Mm-hmm. How come nobody's doing anything about it? <clears throat> well, I, I I'm not sure. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. I'm I'm not going to uh, say I've got a crystal ball and I can I can see right into it. But um, the military and police departments in general do attract a certain type of, of, of aggressive person who very often, as you know, are, are prone to violence. I mean, it just, it, it attracts this. You have to have an, an adrenaline uh, type of person to get into law enforcement or you're not gonna survive. Uh, and in the military specifically, and I'll, I'll get to law enforcement in a minute, uh, for a very, very long time, the, the Southern culture has been very pervasive in, in the military, meaning they uh, held, in fact, I think it's still true today. I don't know the exact percentage. I, I apologize, but more than 50% of all uh, uh, military are, are, I believe, from the South. Uh, in fact, we've closed most of our military bases in the North, especially the Northeast, because people just don't don't join. They're, they're, they don't uh, enlist in the military in, in large enough numbers for the military to maintain a, a large presence in the north. So most of our military bases now are predominantly in, in the southeast, uh, with some of them, of course, in the Middle West, and then still some more out on the West Coast. But it's predominantly a southern dominated culture in the military. And uh, although this will ruffle some feathers, uh, the southern culture, even today, still many of them believes in the lost cause of the Confederacy. That was put on display on January 6th of this year when we had the, in my opinion, obscene sight of a Confederate flag being paraded through our Capitol building. To me, this was a a stab through the heart, and it should have been a stab through the heart of any veteran who has ever worn, or a police officer who has ever worn the uniform of the United States of America or a police agency in this country, because we take an oath to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I hate to break it to people, but the Confederacy was an enemy of the United <laughs> States. If, well, if, pe- you know, if people didn't know that. <laughs> well, a lot of people still don't know that. I mean, they, they a lot of people, believe me, I speak to them every day, believe this was a, a state's right issue and it was just a difference of opinion, uh, a political issue that happened to be settled over four bloody years uh, and that it wasn't really all that uh, people think it was, that they're not so much different. Uh, no, the, the, the Confederacy was a treasonous uh, um, group of states that wanted to succeed from the United States of America. And they tried to do so very, very violently. And many, many Americans on both sides died needlessly. And to see that flag paraded through the, the Capitol and to be paraded around outside the Capitol before and after that, I, I, I still... Uh, get very angry when when I see that. So the point I'm trying to make is this attitude of the lost cause, the Confederacy and all that goes with it, which does include slavery, racism, and the fact that many people 
in the military and in law enforcement who have that attitude still have not accepted the fact that we are a multiracial uh, country. It is not just a white Christian nation. And it, the police departments and the military seem to attract people who are more prone to that attitude than the general public, meaning that America should be a white Christian nation run by white Christians. Uh, and that's a problem. Uh, as you probably know, uh, uh, the new Secretary of Defense, Austin, just mm -hmm. ordered a stand down of the entire Department of Defense, temporary stand down, so they can uh, address this issue of racism within the military. That's never happened before. That's, that's historic and incredible that it has to happen, but it does have to happen. Now, and what so, does he mean by stand down? What does he mean by that? What by is, stand down? Yes. What is it? Ah, that means that all non-emergency operations cease. That unless there's something that is critical in nature that has to be done, such as uh, obviously security-related issues, uh, guarding military bases, uh, uh, flights that must take place, and just anything that's not critical must stop. And commanders at all levels must meet with their, uh, their people, their soldiers, sailors, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guardsmen, and discuss racism within the ranks. That's never happened before. And they have to lay out the, the, uh, the policies, the procedures, the regulations, enforce it upon them, and try to make sure that this doesn't get out of hand. Uh, whether it's out of hand already or not is, is certainly an argument. I'm not quite sure that it's already not. I think the most recent stories I read were that 20%, give or take, of all the people arrested at the Capitol or insurrection are either current active duty or retired police and or military. That's staggering. That is staggering. That is staggering. That is staggering. I mean, to have any police officers go to the capital of the United States of America, violently force their way in and either attempt or be part of a mob that actively sought out our Congress people and senators with the intent, in some cases, of killing them, yeah. on hanging them. There was a noose erected yeah. on in the park across from the Capitol building. They were attempting to find members of Congress, zip tie them, bring them outside and hang them. Many Americans don't know that. That's a fact. And that's being brought out today as we speak during the uh, Senate impeachment trial. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching it? I watched a little bit of it yesterday. Have I watch as much as I can before I want to shoot my monitor. <laughs> it's uh, the, 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 the prosecution there uh, is really doing a fantastic job. Agreed. They really, really are, and you know Trump's team hasn't done uh, hasn't done their their presentation yet. But what they did for the for the constitutional issue, whether we can impeach, was horrendous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> I couldn't. Well, uh, you know, it, you know it, it, Trump's guilt, in in my opinion, and, and that that of millions of others, is so strong. It's it's so obvious that his uh, defense lawyers are not even trying to defend against his actions and his words. Their sole defense is that this is unconstitutional, that the uh, the Congress and the Senate cannot try a uh, previous president, a president who is not currently serving. And that's been discounted by the overwhelming majority of constitutional scholars. But that's never stopped uh, the president or, or his attorneys before. And so that's their entire argument, that this is illegal. It's unconstitutional. That's going to be shot down, has been shot down. But but here's the thing to remember. He's going to be acquitted. Uh, only five <laughs> senators, uh, Republican senators, voted to even go forward with the senator, the the, uh, the trial in the Senate. And they've made it very clear since then that it doesn't matter what, uh, what evidence is presented by the Democrats. They are not going to vote to uh, convict Donald Trump. What does that say about the bifurcation of the country? And what would that say to any leader going forward? And what would that say to Donald Trump? <laughs> you know, you yeah. just can't. <laughs> that, no, that's, it's an excellent question. And I get asked that every day. And, and, and if you've read anything I've written, which, you know, I know you have, I write about that a lot. What that's doing is strengthening his hand. Um, the people that breached the security at the Capitol building were just empowered 
they couldn't believe that they were uh, that they would be successful, that this would happen. It did. Uh, and ever since then, even though uh, I think now it's 180 or, or close to 200 have been arrested, they're empowered. They feel that the only thing they could do now is more of the same. Donald Trump is sitting down in Mar-a-Lago in Florida, acting like a government in exile. So mm. what, what, what it's going to mean when he's acquitted is that the Senate is with him. The entire Republican Party is with him that 74 million people who voted for him are with him, that he can now pretty much do whatever he wants and not worry about any legal sanctions. Um, that's very, very dangerous in my opinion. And you uh, you, you posted an article uh, about uh, the uh, state of Florida seeking um, to possibly arrest him for his actions in the, the phone call. Uh, when he was trying to subvert the, the phone call, uh, um, you know. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, you're correct. It's the state of Georgia, actually, which Georgia. is even better. Yeah, that, yeah. that's okay. He, as you may remember, he, he threatened several times the Secretary of State and a lot of the election officials, and in fact, the, the governor of Georgia, to try to change the results of the election. He strong-armed them. Uh, and, and those phone calls, at least one of which, if not more, were recorded. He literally uh, sounded to me like a mafia don telling them that uh, he needs they need to do this, uh, that they, they just need to, uh, to to overturn this election. These, I forget the exact words, but they, they need to find 18,000 votes. He doesn't care how they do that. Blatantly illegal. Um, so uh, they've been tossing this around since he, uh, he did that. And now I think it was yesterday they find one district attorney in, I think it's Gwinnett County, north of Atlanta, decided that she, uh, a Democrat, is going to file crim a criminal, is going to conduct a criminal investigation, a grand jury investigation, to see if there's enough evidence to formally charge uh, President Trump, ex-President Trump, with, with a felony, with tampering with the election in Georgia, which is, is a major felony. And I'm not sure the I forget the uh, the possible sentence, but I believe it, it's at least five years. But there's probably more than one felony she can charge him with. But this is the first of what I believe will be many state brought criminal cases against Donald Trump. Oh, you think there's going to be more coming? Absolutely. There's there's a whole lot of them coming from the state of New York. Uh, that's been brewing for a very long time, uh, both civil and criminal. But the I think it's the district attorney of Manhattan is currently pursuing several uh, tax related fraud charges against Trump and the Trump organization. I believe the attorney general of the state of New York is also pursuing criminal and civil charges against Trump. They were just waiting till he's out of office. Uh, now he is. And so they've been confiling a lot of evidence. They've been subpoenaing many, many uh, officials, including bank officials. Deutsche Bank comes to mind, uh, which is where the Trump organization had uh, most of its dealings with uh, individuals. Uh, I'm sure Giuliani is going to be subpoenaed if he already hasn't and many, many others. So New York and Georgia immediately are going to be filing civil and criminal charges against Trump, I believe, in the, in the very near future. And so let's let's go back to the to the to the to the Senate there. You don't believe yeah. he's going to be convicted. I don't believe he's going to be convicted either. Um, no. What is again, what does that say about the country? The, the yeah. how 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 separated are we? This is is it again the lost cause? Is it they just so Republican minded that they put party before country? What, what is up with this? It's a few things. And I, I just want to say it's a good question. I want to say that I can't tell you how many uh, uh, emails and uh, texts I get from people I know in Europe, for example, that are just amazed, disgusted, and, and disappointed and sad for America right now. Uh, they can't believe that this is happening. Um, and that makes me sad. <laughs> it really does. We were the beacon of, of hope, beacon of light to these people, literally. They depended on us. They looked to us to help them with their problems that they have. And now we, we're worse than them. Uh, what does it say about America? Uh, it says that America has is and always has been a racist society. I hate to say that. It brings me wow. no pleasure at all. Wow. It brings me no pleasure. Zero. But to be honest with you, since 
I, like millions of other uh, Americans, since uh, the George Floyd uh, murder last year and the, the riots, have been looking a lot at our history, reading a lot more than I normally do, and I'm a history buff, uh, about this country, which I love, still love, always will love. But just the things that have happened, uh, the, the reconstruction after the Civil War, uh, the fact that that was thwarted by, at that time, believe it or not, the Democratic Party, uh, who was very popular in the South and is the reverse of what they are today, uh, and how that was changed by, by uh, gerrymandering, changes of laws, uh, political uh, sleight of hand. And so the, the laws uh, that were passed after the Civil War were thwarted, were changed. And, and uh, uh, the black senators, black congressmen who were elected were kicked out, uh, uh, in some cases lynched, uh, and were never allowed for almost a century to, uh, to, uh, to serve again, to have any elected black officials again since that time. Um, most Americans don't know that, or if they do, they don't care. Uh, and yes, in the mid-60s then, of course, we had uh, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and, and so many positive things that have happened, for real. Um, but in the background, there's always been this, this unspoken, racial tension, in some cases, racial hatred, which I hate to say uh, was pervasive in many police departments uh, throughout the country and just tolerated with, with a blind eye. Uh, it just was. And uh, that never went away. That never went away. So what does it say about us as a country? That we've always been a deeply racist country. We've hidden it very well. We've had many, many moments of, of, of clarity. And, and of trying to do better and of, have, and of doing better and, 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 and actually succeeding in making this a better country. But that's always been followed by two steps back. Mm. Um, mm. Things that have happened, whether it was after Reconstruction, whether it was the lynchings of the late 19th and early 20th centuries, uh, whether it was the backstepping uh, after uh, the, the, the uh, Voting Rights Act and the civil rights legislation of the 60s, whether it was now with, with uh, the, the George Floyd and many other incidents from the last uh, few years. Uh, and what happened was we unfortunately elected the racist in chief, somebody who could just set a match to all that racism that was already brewing under the surface and allow it to just seep to the surface and, and blaze out of control. Uh, and so I was amazed, I have to admit, even though I knew it was there, I was amazed at how large a percentage of this country have deep-seated racial hatreds, and not just against people of color, against anybody who's not what they perceive as an American, foreigners of all kinds, uh, non-Christians, anybody who they don't think was uh, an original American, somebody who they believe doesn't belong here. And Trump really, and, and now the, the Republicans have, have allowed them to do that, not just in voice, but as we've seen on, on January 6th, through violence. I would add to your litany there of, uh, of racist incidents, the election of Barack Obama. That's when I think a lot of things really kicked off. I, I read an article stating that uh, before his election, there were less than I don't know. If, I don't even remember the number. Less than maybe 900 racial groups, but very loosely uh, put together. Then after his election, that swelled to well over a thousand, and they begin to to, to solidify. Uh, is that? Am I wrong in that? No, I think you're very right. In fact, I think a lot of the the recent grievances over the last 20 years, 15 or 20 years, have, have come about as a result of Obama's election because uh, groups or individuals that had this racism. Uh, in here and, and didn't really voice it, gave voice to it after Obama was elected. They, they just, they couldn't believe that we just elected a black president, which most, many of us believed was an incredibly positive act. They believed as the end of America, that this was the end of, of, of America as they knew it, as they wanted it. So they started voicing and acting out on, on their opinions. And, and I, I know that many uh, militias either formed or grew larger as a result of that. Uh, white Americans started buying more guns than ever. You can look, anyone can look that up on, on the internet, just Google it. Uh, firearms and ammunition started flying off the shelves after Obama was elected. They, they uh, many people anticipated and in many cases wanted a race war. Absolutely crazy. 
And, and the GOP, the Republican Party, did absolutely nothing to stop that. If anything, they, they uh, fanned the flames of that. And as I said, for almost five years ago now, Trump just absolutely poured gasoline on the fire. And in my fire raging out of control in terms of, uh, of violent racism and, and white supremacy. We had the, the attack, uh, uh, or it wasn't quite as, as uh, severe as the Capitol, but on Michigan, and no one really stepped up. And that was, you know, many people are looking to, to that as a dry run. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, no one stopped it. I don't even know if there was any prosecutions or what's going on with that. What, what was your thoughts about that, that, that whole situation? Well, that wasn't the beginning, but it certainly was, was a, a further step in all of this. And it's, that's a great point. I remember following that live, like many people, and watching these armed militia, the uh, Michigan militia. And in fact, I think that's their name, the Michigan militia, stormed the, uh, the, the steps of the Michigan Capitol in Lansing, heavily armed with Kevlar and helmets and, and extra uh, ammunition, AR-15s, Glocks, and, and, and the like, and, and go into the, the, uh, the lobby of the, uh, the Capitol. And they were faced by really a very small number of Michigan State Police and some sergeant at arms at the Michigan Capitol. And uh, there's a, a, a photo that I actually I, uh, I posted and I wrote an article about that specific incident of these militia members, heavily armed, literally shouting in the face of uh, Michigan State Police as the state police had their backs up against the doors to the Senate chambers as the, the uh, Michigan Senate or Congress uh, State House was in session. Um, and the, uh, the, those people, the uh, militia, wanted to get into that chamber while they were in session and, and God knows what, uh, shoot them, kidnap them, nobody knows. Fortunately, uh, they were able to keep them out at that point. But my question was, and still is, why were they allowed in there in the first place? Why wasn't there a more ro robust law enforcement presence? And, and what is this about Michigan that allows open carry? By the way, they, were, they weren't uh, violating the law. In Michigan, there's open carry. Anyone can carry any weapon they want openly. So they did. They carried them by the hundreds to the Michigan State Capitol. And uh, the uh, state police were vastly outnumbered and, uh, and outgunned. So that was the main reason they didn't uh, uh, pull any weapons on the militia. They would have been slaughtered, but that should never have happened. And since then, you're right, nobody's been arrested, to m in my opinion, and that uh, open carry law has not been changed or even brought up. And as you know, not too long after that, the uh, Michigan governor uh, uh, was almost kidnapped. The FBI, fortunately, uh, thwarted the kidnapped attempt by Michigan militia members to kidnap her and possibly execute her for, of all things, uh, uh, enforcing the mask mandate and quarantines to try to protect them from COVID. <laughs> so black people, African-Americans are rioting in the streets. Yes. Protesting because, you know, we get kneeled on, <laughs> get slaughtered and white domestic terrorists are rioting and trying to kidnap governors because they have to wear masks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you know, what really gets me about, about that whole issue, the, the BLM riots uh, of last year um, after the, the, uh, the several actually uh, murders uh, of, of, of individuals. Um, what really gets me about that is every day, I have to uh, argue uh, or defend against somebody who's saying that, well, what about all the vandalism and destruction that happened during the BLM riots? Why don't you Dems or Libs, of which I'm neither actually, um, talk about that? Why are you always talking about the Capitol insurrection or, or uh, militias or, or, or something like that? And it's just, it's staggering to me, amazing to me that there's any uh, uh, suggestion of equivalence between the legal, for the most part, legal protests and right. minimal, minimal damage and vandalism during the protests last year against black murders, murders of black individuals, than what happened at the Capitol and in the Michigan Capitol and the U.S. Capitol after that. How can you equate kidnapping and attempted murder and insurrection and an attempted coup against the United States versus 
peacefully for the most part and legally protesting against murders. But they do, they do this on a daily basis. And that's a huge problem because they truly do believe that it's equivalent and that the media and Dems and Libs are not seeing that and that they need to make their voice heard and they need to do it violently if need be. Yeah, there's there's so much more I, I want to talk to you about here. And so we get to the, we talk about police. Uh, a number of them were probably uh, involved in that or whether they're on duty, by, by on duty, I mean working or, or retired. Um, and so I know that there's a, a few departments who are actually doing investigations to see if their members were part of this, of that taking over the Capitol. Uh, the FBI released that uh, report back in 2006 stating that this was going to happen. And here we are, you know, fast forward to 2021, and here we are with the the, the exact uh, culmination of not doing anything about these racists entering the military, getting the training, entering the police departments, getting the training, and I would say even entering politics. There's there's no way that people oh. like Steve King are, are not <laughs> are not deliberately racist, you know. If or you know, Holly or the rest of them, yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, so, what should police departments do? Mm. To, to, to stop this? And then we'll get to the military. What should they do? Well, I can actually combine the two questions because it's, it's one of the, the main questions I think we have to ask as a nation um, is what do we do about trying to, to stop the uh, uh, people, uh, recruits, coming into the ranks of both police and the military or to weed out those that are already working in law enforcement or members of the military? And I think you can really lump them together. Um, and I, in fact, I, again, I just wrote about this today, so it's fresh in my mind because somebody else asked me about that. The first step was already taken by uh, Secretary of Defense Austin. Okay. We need to, as a nation, address the problem. And by him having the military stand down, meaning cease all non-emergency missions to address this problem is a huge first step. I believe police departments need to do the same thing. We can't, the president can't order all police departments, all 18,000 plus police departments to stand down and, and address this problem. He can ask, and I think he should. Uh, possibly the attorney general would be a much better venue or the Department of Justice for doing that, making a request of every law enforcement agency in the United States to do their own version of a stand down, which would be to have commanders, police chiefs, watch commanders, whatever, uh, talk to their people about this issue a mandatory issue. I know all all officers hate mandatory uh, uh, meetings and trainings and, and all that, but this is crucial. Mm. Th that would be a start, but that's not going to solve anything. What they need to do after that is they need to develop and implement a much better, comprehensive, thorough vetting program, background checks for police recruits that specifically target extremist organizations, and yes, right-wing extremist organizations, white supremacist organizations, but all kinds. I'm not gonna just say it's, it's right-wing or left-wing, all extremist organizations. We don't need violent extremists of any persuasion in police departments or the military. That's crazy that we should accept it. Uh, it has to be done, uh, and, and that includes much more in-depth background checks. It inv I know today tattoos, or everybody has tattoos, you should not be allowed to wear racist tattoos. You should not be uh, allowed to wear swastikas. You should not be uh, allowed to wear obvious symbols of white supremacy. But yet, some departments allow this. It's freedom of speech and it's protected. Many of them say they do. That's wrong. That's got to stop if we want to address this issue. And if during the background vetting of police and military recruits, they find evidence of membership, or uh, participation in uh, these extremist groups, don't hire them. Don't even let them in the police department. Don't let, allow them to enlist in the military. <clears throat> That's the second part. The third part is they need to do the same thing with currently serving officers and members of the military. They need to enlist their own criminal investigation agencies within all the military to look for and seek out those members that are currently affiliated with extremist groups. And that can in involve many, many different aspects. They can involve barracks checks, lockers checks, interviews, uh, all the things they normally do anyway. 
And if they, um, uh, social media, obviously being a primary one, uh, checking that. And if they find there's evidence of membership, affiliation, or uh, leanings in, in any strong capacity towards racist organizations, they need to be discharged. They need to be in the sense of the, uh, the police departments, they need to follow their policy for disciplinary procedures, of course, but they should be separated, in my opinion, from a police department or from the military. Let me step back one. Uh, before you do that, the police departments and the military need to rewrite their policies and regulations that prohibits hiring or maintaining individuals that are members of these organizations. So once they find currently serving members that are part or affiliated with these organizations, they have a much easier way of terminating them for policy violations. I know a lot of unions would fight that. This would be an ongoing legal battle, but it's got to start somewhere. And the departments have to start rewriting their regulations to, to typify or to amplify that or to lay that out. So it is easier to either suspend in or eventually terminate them. The same thing for the military. It's easier in the military. They need to have uh, regulations that prohibit this action activity. When members are found, they need to be subject to immediate UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice Action, and if possible, separated from the military. And then further, after that, that information, if they're separated because of uh, affiliation with an extremist group, should be forwarded to law enforcement for further tracking. Because just because they're discharged doesn't mean they're going to stop. If anything, they're going to be more of an active member because now they have a grudge and they're going to try to take it out on either the local uh, government or hopefully not the federal government. I think you gave us a, a very good rundown as, as to what they should do. What does that do for recruitment and retainment? Now, I read an article a number of years ago where, um, actually, I think it was just a couple months ago, where the military actually was doing something to weed out this process. And then uh, they actually stopped asking, almost adopted a don't ask, don't tell, because they didn't want to hurt recruitment because they had so much going on in Afghanistan and Iraq and all that kind of stuff. What does that do for recruitment and retention? It's a good question. I think it's going to help recruitment and retention. Why? It's going to allow people that were afraid to join the military, whether it's people of color, whether it's people of different sexual orientation, whether it's going to be uh, people with, uh, uh, of different religions uh, that were afraid to join the military. They're not going to find a home. They're not going to be afraid that they're going to have a noose around their neck or be shot or be thrown off a ship or, or beat up in the middle of the night uh, or anything else. Uh, I think it's going to actually help recruitment and it's going to uh, and it, the people that will come in and that will stay, that will be retained by both police departments and the military are going to be a higher quality. Uh, I'm sorry, you just don't find, for the most part, a high quality individual who's also a blatant racist <laughs> or a, a white supremacist. It's true. And, and people can fault me on this and tell me I'm generalizing or, or I'm judge, um, being judgmental. Um, but the fact is, in my experience, blatant racist, violent racist, violent white supremacists are not ideal candidates. Uh, they, they're not a high quality person that you should want to recruit and retain in your police department, your law enforcement agency or your uh, military branch. Mm. So I think it's going to help recruitment and retention. Very good. Let's swing back up to Michigan there. Uh, we had a lawmaker, uh, you posted an article where a lawmaker uh, is saying that the attack of the Capitol was staged mm. uh, um, and a hoax. Um, what is up with these people, these QAnon people, these conspiracy theorists nuts who are entering into government? I'm sure that you're aware. What's that woman from from Georgia, representative there? Yeah, Marjorie in, Taylor Greene. Yeah. What? what uh, these people are getting into government uh, yeah. uh, and believing this nonsense. Yeah. Um, I switched my focus about, uh, I don't know how many months ago, primarily when I first started uh, uh, writing for think tanks and even posting on LinkedIn and, and other internet sites, I was primarily interested in, in, in Russia and uh, foreign <laughs> intelligence trying to uh, uh, attack us, cyber attack us like the 2016 election. And so that was my focus. I, I, and I, I still do uh, concentrate on that to a degree. But several months ago, just prior to the election, when things were heating up, and Trump really, really started going off the rails, even for him. I decided that, and with the Michigan issue, by the way, well, after George Floyd, 
the protest, uh, the Michigan State uh, Office uh, 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 issue we just talked about with the militia, I decided, mm, no, this is really shifting towards uh, uh, America. This is internal. This is domestic. So I decided to focus just on domestic right-wing terrorism, specifically uh, white supremacist uh, uh, terrorism. So pretty much that's all I've been focusing on. And a huge part of that, unfortunately, is this this lunacy that, that is QAnon. Uh, and it's not just QAnon, although that's that's kind of the umbrella for, for all of this. It's the, the belief in, in, in fantasy. It's the belief in, in delusions. It's really the belief in anything. It's, it's suspension of truth. And, and Trump, again, he didn't start that, but he lit the fire for always contesting all reports, all media, all truth, and saying it's fake news. I mean, who used fake news more than uh, four years ago? I never did. Uh, that, that's something that goes back to Stalin and, and, and Hitler and Goebbels. And uh, Trump took that right from them. So fake news, he started that, or he amplified that. The, uh, the media or the uh, uh, journalism and media is the press is the enemy of the people. Again, yeah. goes right back to Stalin and Hitler and, and Joseph Goebbels. Uh, so that's nothing new, but he amplified that. So uh, the QAnon and the anti-truthers uh, are, are a growing, growing problem in this in this country. And I believe it almost dwarfs everything else. And the, the uh, white supremacists, the radical right wingers, the, the Trump supporters have just latched on to this because for the most part, they feel that they're being ignored, rightly or wrongly. That's their grievance, that the rest of us are not listening to them. And that the only way that they can voice their grievances is through violence. And that since we're not listening, to, uh, and they feel left behind, excuse me, not just by, by Democrats and libs, by the world, by technology, by modernity, by just things that are going on. Many of them are unemployed, underemployed, uh, 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 have uh, drug problems. The opioid problem has devastated middle America and poor Americans and, and the, the central part of America, industrial America, farm America. Mm -hmm. So they have no answers. They're scared and they're angry and, and they're in many cases starving uh, and they can't provide for their families. So what do they want? They want easy answers to everything. And what provides easy answers is fantasy. If you can make up an answer for virtually anything, that's great. That Now I feel better. Uh, I have an answer. Even though it's crazy, it's an answer. So they're so desperate, they're latching on to this. And Trump, even though he didn't know what he was doing, just uh, knew intuitively that that was the way to go. And so he kept feeding them all these falsehoods and they kept buying it. And uh, it led to QAnon. QAnon's only been around for two or three years since I believe 2017, 2018. It's not been around long. And they crowned Trump as their, their king, their savior, literally a savior appointed by God to lead them, uh, lead them against the anti-Christians, the, the, uh, uh, satanic worshiping pedophile libs. And uh, they believed that he was literally anointed by God and they will follow him to the death uh, to try to bring him back to power. And I don't know any real viable way to fight against delusion when at least 74 million Americans believe that delusion. And that's not my numbers. That's who voted for Trump. And in the most recent polls, the majority of those 74 million believe that Trump is absolutely innocent of any culpability for the January 6th insurrection and riots, and they would still like him to come back and be president. That's very dangerous. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and you kind of answered it there, is what does that do for the senators who are going to, you know, not, uh, we, we all know that they're not going to convict him, um, but they're going to go back to their home bases and be and be celebrated as heroes who stood up for Trump, right? I mean, that's... Well, well and that's what this is all about in terms of you talk about the senators. Uh, let's just talk about Republicans. Republican senators or Congress people, this is all about their, their base and their votes and their power. They, I've said this before, so I'm not going to mince words. They're cowards. In my opinion, they're traitors. They have absolutely no idea what the Constitution says, or if they do, and many of them do, they're ignoring it because uh, they just want to hold on to their power. To me, the worst traitor possible is someone who knows 
that they're uh, violating the Constitution, that they're actually attacking their country and still does it. And that's exactly what they're doing. We're talking about Yale and Harvard educated lawyers like Ted Cruz and, and Josh Hawley. They know the Constitution. They know that Trump is guilty. They know that what they're doing is actually illegal and unconstitutional, but they don't want to lose their power. Power to them is the most powerful drug and they don't want to give it up. And they know their base will follow Trump and do anything he says. So they will never want to uh, cross Trump because they will have to pay for it back in their home districts at the ballot box. So they never will. So you've got a, a, a Republican Party now, which is the party of Trump, and they are not going to cross him. Uh, again, you've seen it. Only five senators voted against having this impeachment trial in, in the House. Uh, almost 200 uh, Congress people voted against having the uh, impeachment trial at all. And, and in the first impeachment, they, uh, you know, a year ago, of course, no Republicans or one, Mitt Romney, uh, voted to convict. This time it's going to be eh, a little bit more, but not much. So what does it say? It says the Republican Party is a party of traitors. They have sold any, they've sold their souls and their uh, 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 patriotism for America and the Constitution to Donald Trump and for power. And that's not going to change uh really, until Trump literally leaves the scene. And that's probably going to mean when he dies, because he's not going to give up. No, he's not going to give up. <laughs> um, you see a splintering in the Republican Party? You think that's yes, going to happen? I do. I do. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad for the country. Um, but there are a, there's a small but mm, significant percentage of Republicans who actually have a conscience. Uh, but it's very small. When I say small, 10%, maybe less. Uh, of people who do believe Trump is guilty, Trump is wrong, Trump is a liar, Trump is dangerous. Uh, they do not agree with their uh, Republican colleagues. But again, it's a very small percentage. I believe that they will at least try to start another party, whether they call it Republicans or a completely different name, I don't know. I don't even know if they'll succeed. And if they do, I, I, I don't know what that means for the future of, of, of politics in America. It'll make it more complicated for sure. Uh, but at this point, I think it, it's not the most important uh, story. The most important story is the demise, the failure of the Republican Party. They're lost. They're gone. I think in the, in the near future, for several years, they're not going to be uh, a party of Americans, or at least of the American America we want and I thought we once had. They are going to be the anti-Americans. Uh, they will fight against anything the Democrats want or do. They're, they've started already. And they don't care the consequences for, for law enforcement, for safety, for security, for a national, secu uh, national security. They don't care. They really don't. And even for the economy. My God, look at what Donald Trump and the Republicans did during COVID. That smashed our economy. Smashed the economy. They talk about, you know, quarantines hurting the economy. Well, maybe two or three weeks of quarantine would have saved the economy. We wouldn't be here right now. But they didn't want to do that. So um, I don't see that the Republicans have any future uh, at all in this country. Uh, good, a good future. And if, the, if some Republicans split and start a new party, I don't think it'll succeed. And I certainly don't think it'll change the political landscape. How fearful should we be, or should we be fearful at all, um, concerning the white domestic terrorists, black persons such as myself, gay persons, uh, 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 immigrants, uh, Muslims? How how, how fearful? Should, even even you know decent white people like yourselves. I mean, we're 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 on a precipice here, and how fearful should we be? Can we well, get off this precipice and move back? No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's an excellent question. It has to be asked. I don't think we're going to see any large scale violence like we saw on January 6th, at least not in the near future. I don't think they're going to be able to, to uh, gather the public support for having large numbers of armed militias parade through the streets or march up to capitals. We're ready for that now. Um, I, I don't think the National Guard is going to go away or anywhere far from most large state capitals. Uh, and the feds are obviously uh, on to this now. They're going to stress this much more looking for right-wing activists. However, since they've been kicked off of Twitter and Facebook and, and uh, the, the National Guard is surrounding still some state capitals, including the, the one in Washington, what I think we're going to see are um, almost guerrilla warfare. We're going to sm see small groups of right-wing activists 
uh, commit bombings. Uh, there was just a story I wrote about, uh, I think it was yesterday, two days ago, of 10 pounds of C4 stolen from 29 Palms Marine Base in California. That's not a mistake. And believe me, that was not stolen by some pedophile libs to give it as a present for Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> that, that's not going to happen. Um, <clears throat> this was stolen by white supremacists, of which there are many in the Marine Corps, unfortunately. And it's not the first time. Uh, things just happen to go missing from 29 Palms uh, quite regularly. Um, but this is the most recent one. And let me tell you, 20, 10 pounds of C4 can really ruin your day. Um, it's not a good thing to have out there on the street. Excuse me. Um, so you, you, we're going to see things like that. Uh, we may see, I hate to say it, we may see uh, assassinations. We may see shootings of public officials uh, yeah. at their homes. Uh, we all know of the threats that public officials had to go through during this election and post-election period where right-wing radicals surrounded homes of public officials, sometimes low-level public officials, and threatened them, their families, their children. Uh, I think we're going to see more incidents uh, of that in the future. Yes, and I think we may see random shootings uh, of people of color, I'm sorry, of gays or people that they think are Jewish uh, that's another, uh, of course, what is, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you, you brought her up uh, a few moments ago. Uh, one of her uh, lunatic, lunatic uh, for, uh, uh, ideas a few weeks ago was that a, uh, a Jewish space laser started the wildfires in California. <laughs> I didn't hear that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. A cabal of Jewish uh, uh, businessmen or, or le civic leaders decided to start wildfires and mask it as a natural occurrence. And so that was the prelude to them trying to take over the government. Um, <clears throat> so there's, you know, in with the uh, racism, when I say racism against people of color, there's always a latent uh, racism against uh, Jewish people. They're just always there. Uh, why, do, why do we keep seeing uh, swastikas and Nazi memorabilia? That's always there. And somebody actually said it on my thread on LinkedIn the other day that uh, whenever you see uh, uh, these types of events happening in a country with right-wing radical groups, uh, it always goes back to threats against Jews or accusations that Jews are behind it. Uh, or accusations that Jews are going to take over the banking system or the financial system or the government. It always comes back to that. And when that takes off, historically, we know it does not end well. Man, that's really, really scary. That's really scary. Uh, a couple more questions here. Do you, you talked about the, uh, we talked briefly about the, the white evangelical church. Do they play any role in this as far as, you know, just the whole Southern Southern Baptist thing or whatever? Yeah. Do they play, play a role in any of this fomenting of this nonsense? I mean, I certainly think they could have done more to stop it if they would have spoken up. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a very important question. Yes, the white evangelical Christians in this country are very much a part of this right-wing white supremacist problem. I don't know how familiar you are with Christian nationalism, the uh, movement called Christian nationalism. Most Americans aren't, even in law enforcement, definitely not. White uh, Christian nationalism is a driving force between behind white supremacy, between what happened on January 6th in our nation's capital. I don't know if you remember seeing any of the videos or photos outside the Capitol, but there was a huge wooden cross outside the Capitol. And just before they stormed the barricades at the Capitol and broke through, many of them, including the Proud Boys, knelt down on Pennsylvania Avenue and prayed to this huge white cross and asked God to give them their strength to breach the barricades and punish the sinners. So basically what we saw, the insurrection that we saw on January 6th, was under the name of Jesus Christ and the evangelical church. They were asking God to give them power. And as I told you earlier, they believe that Donald Trump has been anointed by God to lead them in this holy war against the non-believers, the, the child uh, trafficking pedophiles and Satan worshipers, which is anybody but them. So yes, Christian nationalism is a huge driving force behind this 
radical right wing white supremacist movement. And I think that's a huge danger. And I don't know how they ever dig themselves out of this hole or whether they even care. Wow. Where do we go from here? Where, where, where do we go from here? Give us some good news if you can't. <laughs> well, the good news, the best news is that uh, Joe Biden's president. <laughs> um, and believe me, that was a big question, as you know, for several weeks. And uh, I just read yesterday that by 83,000 votes, just 83,000 votes, if it had gone either way in the six swing states, Trump would have won. That is how close it is. It was. Um, so where do we go? Well, Joe Biden is president. The Democrats, slim margins or not, control both the Senate and the House. Th that's excellent news. They are and already have been making great headway with uh, the pandemic, for example. Still a long way to go. But they've already reversed so many of the, the incredibly dangerous policies of, of, of Trump. Um, uh, the fact that they hold press conferences, honest to God, press conferences once a week where they don't insult everybody is a major step forward. The fact that they're transparent and that they're actually telling us for the most part what they're doing and what they're going to do is excellent. Uh, I won't even go into the foreign policy. They're, they're, I think they're doing very well there already uh, from, from that standpoint, dealing with Russia and, and, and China and, and, and Iran and so forth, but just, just domestically, uh, I think the fact that Joe Biden, in my opinion, truly does want to be the president of all Americans is a good thing. I think the fact that he's going to try to reach out to all Americans is a good thing. I think that will sway at least a small percentage of those who voted for Trump but were horrified by what they saw on January 6th. But what we need to do, the answer to what we need to do, in my opinion, as a nation, and I'm talking now just to Democrats, because obviously if you voted for Trump and you still think he's God's appointed savior, you're not listening to me. What we, need to do, well, what we need to do as a nation is face up to what the problem is. So many people I talk to, well-intentioned people of all colors, religions, races, uh, police, military, doesn't matter. They just want to forget it. They just want to forgive, forget the, you know, let's unify. Uh, uh, let's just move on. We can't live in the past. We can't blah, blah, blah. Wrong. If we do not have accountability for what has happened for the last four years, but especially in the last three months, we will never move forward. And I don't mean persecuting anybody. Well, you know, as a police officer, bringing someone to justice is not vengeance. It's accountability. We've got to have accountability. When, when was that a, a, a dirty word? Holding someone legally responsible, bringing them to justice for their illegal actions. Until we face up to that as a nation, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to continue to splinter and be more divided because the people that, that hate all the non-Republicans are going to continue to hate all the non-Republicans and people that don't like Trump. We need to deal with those, the most radical and violent that did commit crimes. Arrest them, well, locate them, arrest them, try them and hopefully convict them and uh, empower new laws. So hopefully this doesn't happen again. Uh, implement the procedures I told you about with law enforcement agencies and the military to try to root out and not hire in the first place these violent extremists. Until we confront these issues and do something about it, we're never going to move forward. What does this say? We both agree that, uh, and this will be the last question. What does this say? Although I, I, sometimes I feel like a preacher in church. I say this all the time. What, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what does it say once the president, the former president, is not, is not convicted by the Senate? What, I mean, what, is it, what does the country look like? I mean, obviously those nuts are going to feel vindicated, but yes. where do we go from there? I mean, how do we heal from that once we, we, we've gone through another oh. waste of time, right? We, we tried it before last year with the, with the impeachment. Senate didn't do it. We did it again. Senate didn't do it. And as this man said, he told us this. He said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, shoot someone and get away with it. And he's proving it. He's proving it. So what does it, what is it, what does it say? <laughs> Unfortunately, in my opinion, it will say that we still are a deeply racist country. We have not learned our lesson and that whatever advances and, and uh, struggles we successfully uh, negotiated in the past 
have not all failed, but we've taken many, many steps backward. It will tell us and the rest of the world that the American idea was not totally true. Maybe it was even false. Maybe it was false. Maybe it was never true, but it's certainly not true today. What it will tell us is that almost half the country doesn't believe in the ideals that are enshrined in the US Constitution, no matter how many times they wrap themselves in an American flag and call themselves patriots. They don't get it. And they are willing to violently protect that delusion and to kill anybody who disagrees with them. That's what it will tell us. Sorry. I'm actually very, I'm actually, I'm actually very, very concerned. I'm very worried, very concerned. And you should be. I try to actually make people afraid, not because I like it. I hate it. I hate it. This is my country. This is your country. I hate what I'm what I say, but I am also not someone that uh, that uh, runs away from from a fight. I'm not somebody that runs away from enemies of my country. I swore many, many years ago as both a police officer and a soldier to defend this country, the Constitution, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And right now, our biggest problem is domestic enemies. And I believe as a country, we're not admitting that. We are not. As a country, as a nation, we are not facing that. And we're actually trying to run away. And in my opinion, if we do that, our democracy is doomed. David DeBotto, thank you so much for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really, really enjoyed your perspective, listening to you, enjoyed our conversation. Uh, you're on LinkedIn. People can follow you on LinkedIn. Where else can we find find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on uh, my website, which is not uh, updated as much as I'd like, which is uh, uh, protecting the republic, protectingtherepublic.com. And uh, there they'll find some more articles and some uh, podcasts and so forth. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. I really want to have you back and hopefully we can have a better conversation or not a better conversation, but a conversation that's that's better in scope as far as far as uh, we, more positive. Let me say it like that. A positive conversation where we can say, hey, listen, we made it through these times and everything's looking up. <laughs> you know? Well, I agree with you there. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. You too. <laughs> All right.